Certain spirits spake above the head. These were most malignant, exciting whatever was delightful, and closely following up in their thoughts all and singular things of this nature, so that they might thence know how to plot most successfully to my destruction. Whoa, freaky. Why are you reading that? Oh, for this show, because I'm supposed to figure out if it's safe to talk to spirits. Right. Shouldn't we start with whichever government agency regulates spirit communication? I mean, don't they have some labels or guidelines telling you what's safe? Right, right. Who's the authority in all this stuff? Uh, Who's running controlled experiments on it? It's a tricky dynamic because you've got this official position from the scientific community or just common perception. I don't know. Whoever makes official positions that spirits aren't even real. Yet, you have mass massive numbers of people reporting coming into contact with them. So where is your quality control? Is it all just DIY? Well, this is going to sound like product placement, which it is, but I think Swedenborg is an excellent place to start. Not only did he record meeting hundreds and hundreds of spirits, but in his day, he was the scientific community, or at least at the leading edge of it. And he tried to document his experiences with that same level of organization. Yeah, it sounds good. And who wouldn't want to hear how the story of the malignant spirits above the head turns out? Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. Today we're going to be asking, is it safe to talk to spirits? I'm Curtis Childs and I'm your host. And I'm talking today with Swedenborg scholar Dr. Jonathan Rose. Thanks for coming. I think if we're going to get into this topic, we've really got to start by thinking about the word spirit itself. Ah, spirit. Okay, that comes from the Latin spiritus, mm-hmm. and that's the noun, and then the verb form is spiro, which actually means to breathe. So it's Oh, that's where that comes from. Well, well yes, wait, it's... Wait, wait, wait. Uh, no, sorry. We'll be with you in a minute. Yeah. We don't know whether or not it's safe to talk to spirits. We don't know if we can talk to him, right? Well, it's good timing this came up right now because we're supposed to yeah. do a show on this. But that brings up the question, like, is it safe to talk to spirits? Yeah, pretty good segue, right? So we have to begin, if we're going to figure out whether it's safe to talk to spirits, what are spirits in the first place? Well, Swedenborg says that spirits are just people who have died and gone to the spiritual world. Okay. Well, there's a starting point. Now, is it safe to talk to people? Well, I'm talking to you. I feel like this is going pretty well. Okay, okay. So in the Swedenborgian Life studio, it's safe to talk to people. Mm. But what if uh, an unknown number is calling on your phone? Is it safe to talk to people? Oh, I sometimes don't take calls. Right, yeah. What if you run into this guy and he mm. says, hey, I want to talk to you. And mm. whatever his voice is like, I want to talk to you. Is it safe to talk to people then? Mm. Okay, but that that's sort of a silly example. But let's say you just touched down into a city you've never been to, and it's late at night, you don't speak the language. Is it safe to talk to people there? Right. Like some of the people are probably going to be yeah. safe, but others really, really would not. Yeah. And it would certainly be a stupid idea to like get in the car with someone or let them take you somewhere. Exactly. So what we're looking at here is with that as a starting point, can we use Swedenborg's insights as a kind of map to find our way around the spiritual mm. city? And if we're going to do that, there's a couple key points I want to hit. First of all, uh, we got to find out what the dangers are. Yeah, right? safety right, right. first. And if there's a really good reason to just not mess with the whole thing, we want to lay that out first. Yeah, what is the danger? Right. But we don't want to be too negative about it. Is are there antidotes to that danger? Are there protections? Oh, protections. And is there like a good side to the whole spirit contact thing? And then I do want to do something about the Bible because we get on on the web and then all, and all over people are saying 
Christianity, the Bible says you can't talk to spirits. Yeah, and is that, it. I want to know why, and is that actually what the Bible is saying? Mm, sounds like a good plan. All right, well then it's time for part one. So yeah, in this section, we are going to talk about the danger. You know, when we're educating young kids, we say stranger danger to people. I don't know if people still say that, but but that is a thing. When they're little, you, you first lay out, here's the places you can't go, because it's so important you don't go there, then we can figure out everywhere you can go. And so we're going to look at the bad side of spiritual experiences and the, the malevolent beings that are trying to sneakily cause us harm. And you might say, this is starting to sound like a video game. There aren't really like beings that go around and try to sabotage you. That, ju- that just happens in books or movies. But that happens in this world, uh, unequivocally. There, there are people that, in, that organize in the same kind of way to do harm. And you know what I'm talking about. Criminal organizations of various uh, levels of, of seriousness. There's like pickpocketing schemes where people not just like, I'm going to steal your wallet, but we're going to have somebody else fall over so that we know people are nice so that they're going to try to help that person up. Then I'm going to steal their wallets while they're doing it. There's a whole thing that's thought through thinking about the natures of the people they're trying to go after. And then phone scams and things like that. It's not just we call up and say, give us money, but we say, oh, we're from the fire department and we pray on on your love of the public safety, or if we think you're of a certain demographic, oh, they might be vulnerable to a retirement scam, or I can push them and say I'm a debt collecting agency because I know their credit history, even though I'm not one. They're getting into trying to figure out who are you, what kind of person are you, and how can I then get into you? And then phishing scams, like they'll, they'll, they'll pose as... I'm a legitimate source when I'm not, and they know what will make you think that they're legitimate. So there's this kind of stuff going on on a natural level. People are doing this. And on the spiritual level, the difference is they're not going after your bank account or your body. They're going after your mind and your heart. And because it's spiritual, they have access to wily things and, and, and these ingenious methods that they don't have here on earth. And Swedenborg describes sometimes when he ran up against this in Spiritual Experiences 3966, He says, certain spirits spoke above the head, like those who can only speak in the manner of persons that have lost the power of articulate speech by rheumatism, who then speak, as it were, without distinct sound, meaning they they were hoarse. These were most malignant, exciting whatever was delightful, and closely following up in their thought all in singular things of this nature, so they might thence know how to plot most successfully to my destruction." It was observed that in every particular that their purpose was to note each single thing pertaining to me with the design of injuring and totally destroying me. So looking through his thoughts and feelings. They are such as in the world are accustomed to draw out the interior thoughts of others and induce them by skillful insinuations to speak of their delights, thus to lure from them more than they would otherwise reveal. They then incessantly contrive how they may seize upon such disclosures and turn them to the injury of the party concerned. So it's kind of like a fishing scheme. The, the people in, in life, he's saying, that were into doing that kind of stuff, once they get into the spirit, they now have access to looking through Swedenborg's memories looking through his beliefs, what can we use? And not just what can we use, but how can we use it against him, right? So it's bad. And not all spirits or spiritual experiences, of course, are of this nature. Swedenborg actually goes to the trouble of laying out categories of visions for us in Divine Providence 134. The first one he talks about are divine 
visions, which he says are given by news of portrayals in heaven. So this is actual manifestations, uh, visual representations of the truth that you're seeing, and we'll hear about that a little more later in the episode. But this is this is like you're, it's actually legit. It's what's really going on, and it has a positive purpose and intent. On the flip side, there are what he calls demonic visions. And these are affected, like brought into being through magical events in hell. And he uses the term magical in a particular sense, meaning false, illusory. Like here, you know, right, right now we have a, you know, there, it looks like just thing, this thing opened up behind me, but it's graphics. It's different than the reality. That's like, so we're, we're affecting magical events here. But you get it? It's, fa- it's, it's like a, one of those Western towns in a movie. It's just like a facade of buildings, but it's actually just a couple boards holding it up. It's not really, but it's made to look like it. That's the nature of these magical events that are meant to mislead in these demonic visions. There's a third kind, which he calls imaginary, the illusions of a mind that has lost its bearing. So this is just something, in some way, our system is breaking down. Like we no longer have the mechanisms to run information correctly. There's not necessarily malevolence in the causation of this, but it's, it's, the system's not working. It's not giving you good stuff. So he throws in that category as well. But since we're focusing in this Debbie Downer section on the negative, we're going to give you an example of these demonic visions. So this is from Spiritual Experiences 617. How deceitful the devil's gang is can never be expressed in words. During temptations, they simulate not only angels, but indeed even the Lord, feigning them in every way to keep, in keeping with the person's fantasy. So they know, oh, this is what you think God is like? I'm going to be like that. The devil knows these fantasies in an instant, for he impersonates people and then searches out what is in them without their knowing it and amazingly remembers it when an opportunity arises. So there's almost like a long-term plan here. Moreover, when so disguised, he breathes in suitable feelings that seem either good or evil and manipulates them in a remarkable way, skillfully bending them toward evil. He sees clearly how the feeling is developing, constantly striving to bend it toward evil. So more knowledge there than we even have of our own feelings, because we don't see how they develop, but, but these, these spirits have that. Furthermore, he breathe, even breathes words into our thought and mouth that harmonize with that feeling, instantly causes us to think they are our own words. They who are not aware of this cannot believe otherwise than they are their own words, when yet they are the devil's, to which I can testify from manifold experience. And so he proceeds from one artifice to another, which he does in an instant by a natural instinct acquired in the life of the body, which may be surprising to anyone. Such spirits have the nature of a wild animal. And yeah, he does that confusing thing there of calling, this is the devil, it's like a singular being, but then saying such spirits. So he's not talking about a single essential evil being that is the devil, see our show, is the devil real. It's, it's, a, it's a, um, a nickname or, or uh, a representation of the love of evil, the love of dominion, uh, of manipulation and harming others that in anyone becomes the devil. But you see there the seriousness of the kind of attacks that can be levied. And it's not just attacks like trying to harm you. There's also a danger of what you could call perversion. Uh, Swedenborg says that people can get ideas from the spiritual world, bad ideas that they wouldn't normally have. He talks about torture methods being communicated from spirits to people. So, of course, if you use those, it harms your victim, but it also acting on impulses like that corrodes the human spirit so much that that's a danger 
from hell as well. And it might seem like with all this, how do we ever like live? I mean, how do, how do we make it through a single day? Well, there are mechanisms in place. The one I want to talk about here, I, he doesn't call it this, but I would call it identification protection. So it's, it's the fact that evil loves itself. So we need to have this equilibrium. I'm only going to explain this in brief uh, because it, it could, we could do a whole show on it. There needs to be equilibrium. We all have good and evil spirits in proximity to us because the good spirits bring forth what is good. The evil spirits pull up what is evil. And from there, we can make our choice and decide what we want to make our life all about. So we have to have them there. But with the evil spirits, if they know they're with us, they act like the way we just heard. So... Divine Providence has it laid out that you actually, the evil spirits think that our stuff is their stuff. Like our thoughts and feelings and memories are their thoughts and feelings and memories. And from that, because they love what's their own, they don't touch us. Sounds weird, confusing tangent, but I thought I would put it in there. We'll do another show on it. We've already done some shows touching on it. The point is, there are these mechanisms, that mechanism, other mechanisms that allow us to thrive in this world, but still... The spiritual world is full of dangers. Man, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. Yeah. And despite talking with all these spirits himself, Swedenborg seems to give the world of spirits in general a really bad rating. Mm. This is from his Journal of Spiritual Experiences, 3781. He says, it's clear how dangerous it is on this planet when spirits speak with people or people listen to spirits operating in them. They are not only persuaded that it is the Holy Spirit speaking, but are also aroused and incited towards wicked acts. For, here we go, almost the whole world of spirits is wicked and fanatical and eager with all their effort to obsess mankind. So you've got this whole spooky, weird world of spirits out there. That really doesn't seem like the kind of place that you want to spend any time in, and certainly not a place in which you'd like to draw attention to yourself. Yeah, it's kind of scary. But we shouldn't forget that he's talking about the world of spirits here, and there's also a whole heaven up above that, filled Mm. with nothing but love. And as you pointed out last time, heaven's actually much more powerful. Right? Yes, I did. If heaven just approaches evil takes off. Mm. And remember that Swedenborg was writing about the world of spirits in 1748. Oh, okay. And he said that the world of spirits is improving, so it's probably better now a couple hundred years later, right? Yes, but still with that passage that we just read, you know, isn't the risk just too great? Well, actually, uh, about that number, um, there was a really important part of it that we cut out. Oh, now why would we, uh, why, why would we cut something out? For narrative flow. Mm. you know, drama. So let's look and see where those dot, dot, dots are. This is the part that was in there. So it's clear how dangerous it is for people to speak to spirits, unless the people, if the people do not have faith in the Lord. If they have faith, it does no harm, for the Lord liberates them. But if the people do not have faith, then all these dangers come up. Okay, so faith seems like the key. Yeah, and we're going to look at just what that means in part two. So as we introduced in the last section, you got to have faith. Got to have faith. Sorry, but faith is very important. And Swedenborg has a complex definition for what faith is. Often you'll have Swedenborg using terms that we have analogs for in modern speech, but he has much more behind what those mean. We're not going to go into the whole definition of it, but as of right now, I would say faith is a combination of affirming spiritual principles and then a goodwill through which you live by those principles. And Swedenborg says that that faith 
can actually be a safety mechanism in this big, bad world of spirits that we've been talking about. He mentions it in Spiritual Experiences 3614. He says, those who do not entertain objections, and I think this is fascinating, against the higher knowledge of faith are safe from evil spirits. Spirits complained that they could no longer be present. So they want to be around him, but they can't because he's in this faith. Because I was abiding in the higher knowledge of faith, it was not permitted to entertain objections. They said that then they have nothing by which they can lead, saying also by which they can mislead. For by their objections, they very much mislead mankind. For people are then carried along by their desires, which produce fantasies, and they then willingly allow objections to enter. So the evil spirits that were around Swedenborg were saying, oh, you've got this faith, you've got these principles and this love, and so now we can't trick you. Like, we have nothing that we can give you. Like, no, hey, don't you wish you were better than this person? We can start to pull you down this road. But they don't, because you're within that. It's almost like the principles of faith can form sort of a safety zone around you. Like, so say you had all your principles, you know, these are little points, whatever they are for you, like, you know, the love of of the common good is the highest good. God is taking care of everything. Whatever are your principles, you have them in your mind. It's almost like they create a framework around you, right? So then if you're in that and you're in, in your holding fast to it, when some kind of malevolent spiritual force appears and they try to give you something that's outside that, You know, they say, hey, worry about this sort of thing. Or they say, commit this act against this person that you know is outside it. Or even I'm going to start to pull you down a certain line of thinking that is that is contrary to your higher principle. If if you know that, oh, anything outside my principles, uh, I'm not doing. They have they they complain. It's there's nothing we can lead this person with. So that's the power of these principles that, that there has to, we have to be giving them a way in. There, there has to be some kind of chink in the armor. And if you're held fast in this faith, then, you know, there's nothing for them to work with. And as a bonus, if you are in this kind of faith, you get babies. <laughs> I'm serious. Swedenborg says there are infants sent to guard you when you're in this kind of faith. From the spirit, like there are babies in the spiritual world too. They're all, you know, people are coming from this world at all ages. And that those infants, because infants are in such innocence, and as Swedenborg says, they're not worried about demonic infestation because they don't even know what that is. They're, the power of that innocence and that connection to heaven is terrifying to evil spirits. So you really do get this little baby protection. I, I, I can't make this stuff up unless he did, then then he could, but we're not making it up. That's the point. So, so you get this extra protection. Um, and this protection of faith kept Swedenborg safe in some very, very hairy situations, which we've just compiled a quick list of here. From Secrets of Heaven 816, he felt, and we've paraphrased here, but he felt a spirit who had been an assassin stab him, but because the Lord was keeping me safe, I was unafraid. Ancient evil spirits struggled up out of a certain hell to smother Swedenborg with lethal persuasions, but they were driven back by the presence, here it is, of a little child, which made them stagger and cry out in anguish. Then further, Secrets of Heaven 3891, evil spirits planned to suffocate him in his sleep, but he was given a heavenly kind of respiration as protection. Now, Swedenborg, open to the spiritual world, can really receive these attacks directly, but also this protection. Then uh, later he felt evil spirits enter his brain and spinal cord 
and take away his understanding. That's for, once somebody's in your brain and spinal cord, they better be a surgeon or else they don't belong there. He felt some pain from this, but it was to no avail because the Lord was protecting me and the attack soon ceased. All of these in, in context, you see it's from the faith. And then finally, from a couple places where he reports it, during the night, evil spirits attacked him from every side. He awoke shaking to see a protective column around him made out of angelic spirits with the Lord at the center. He perceived that this was the bronze wall mentioned in Jeremiah 1.18 and 15.20. So this, this, there's an amazing amount of protection in something. You might just think, oh, it's just good feelings and that kind of, but there's an amazing amount of protection there. And when this protection is intact, we can start to then have a space once these demonic visions are pushed back to get to this divine vision that we talked about earlier. And he, ta- he calls them also genuine visions and describes them in Secrets of Heaven 1970. He says, real visions mean the vision or sight of things that really do exist in the other life. People on earth see them when the Lord activates their inner sight, or in other words, the sight of their spirit. When the eyes of our spirit open in daylight brighter than that of the noonday sun on earth, we see what actually exists among spirits, not only representations, but also the spirits themselves. So it's true, and that's the difference. At the same time, we perceive who they are what they are like, where they are, where they come from, where they are going, how they feel, and what they think, and even what they believe. All these impressions are confirmed by audible speech that precisely resembles human speech, and not a single error is made. And this is the mode that Swedenborg was in when he was getting a lot of his insights. So you can see the difference there between this confusing uh, attack from hell where they're trying to get you to believe one thing and manipulating you and and leading you into uh, dangerous places, where this other thing is, here's the truth, and there's all these safeguards, and it's clear, and you know not only why everyone's there, but what they believe and what they're trying to do. It's just this clarity that I think is present all over in heaven. So there really can be lovely, beautiful things coming out of the spiritual world as well. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it. And you know, that's not an accident or a byproduct. We're Mm. actually meant to have this kind of positive communication. Swedenborg says in Secrets of Heaven 69, the Lord created us, and by us he means all human beings, to be capable of communicating with spirits and angels while still living in our bodies. That's cool. And it's a cool role to have. And Swedenborg even says that that's how things used to be. That's right. He talks about this time, uh, the most ancient church, he calls it sort of the original spiritual state of humanity where this afterlife communication was just a part of life. It was woven into the fabric Mm. of how you did things on this planet. But if if it's good and it's natural, then why is there such religious resistance Mm. to it. It does seem like there's a variety of ways of holding it, depending on what tradition you're looking at. I mean, just to paint with a broad brush, you have shamanism, where you have those indigenous practices worldwide, and that is very heavily involved with interacting with spirits. That's the whole foundation of it, right? And then you have Sikhism and Buddhism that both acknowledge that there are good spirits that we can align with, and then there are evil spirits that faith can protect us from. Right. Uh, there seems like there's more resistance to that spirit contact in the Abrahamic traditions. Islam and Judaism acknowledge the possibility of, you know, there are spirits. Yeah, yeah. You, there's the possibility of spirit contact, but they warn against it or they forbid it. it. Yeah, that's but right. Christianity, even more so, right? I mean, mm. Well, I just say that because on this channel and other places around the web, we get people saying, commenting on our videos and saying like, hey, the Bible says there is no spirit communication of any form allowed. Mm. 
I think it's actually a little more complicated than that. Oh, would you care to explain? I think it's time for part three. So what does the Bible say about talking with spirits? There are certainly passages in the Old Testament that are against it. Leviticus 19.31 says, Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. And the next chapter there goes on to forbid child sacrifice, which is really horrendous, and then adds, The person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. Then, after mentioning other horrendous evils, bestiality, and listing various types of incest that are prohibited, the chapter ends by saying, quote, A man or a woman who has a medium or who has familiar spirits shall surely be put to death. Deuteronomy also forbids it, and again strangely aligns it with child sacrifice. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. In the New Testament as well, we're cautioned, but in a different way. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, hang on. That's very different than saying you'll be stoned to death for doing any such thing because it's all an abomination. This doesn't even say don't talk to spirits. It's more like if you do talk to spirits, make sure you have the right ones. And the implication is that some actually are of God and are true prophets. So what happened there between the Old Testament and the New Testament? I think the answer would have to be Jesus. Jesus happened in between there. The Gospels show him constantly casting out demons and healing the demon-possessed. Swedenborg explains something fascinating about how things used to be before Jesus fixed it. Quote, There are spirits called earthly and physical spirits who do not unite with our thoughts when they come to us the way other spirits do, but rather enter our bodies and take over all its senses, talking through our mouths and acting through our limbs. These are the spirits that possess people, but they have been cast into hell by the Lord and moved decisively away. So possession like this no longer occurs nowadays. So Swedenborg is talking here about a particular kind of possession, full bodily possession, a spirit in the afterlife has totally taken control of your body and is just wearing you as a flesh suit and doing what it wants, like a horror movie or something. And there are loads of spirits up there who loved physical addictions or being violent or sexually out of control who would relish the chance to take us over like this. So Jesus put a stop to possession of our bodies, but not all the danger has gone away. Spirits can still possess our minds and hearts. Swedenborg describes how evil spirits today aim for dominance over us by using a more inward path. Quote, many people today are possessed by spirits, since inward possession still exists, though the outward possession of former times does not. We can tell what they're like if we pay attention to our thoughts and feelings, and especially to our deepest intentions, which we may be afraid to expose. In some people, these intentions are insane. 
These pernicious spirits try especially hard to loosen all our internal restraints, the desire for what is good and true, the desire for what is just and fair, fear of God's law, and shame to harm our community or country. When these internal bonds are undone, such spirits take total possession of us. This possession is something we cannot escape unless we have a desire for good and a resulting belief in the Lord, the faith that Curtis was talking about. Swedenborg would never tell you there's no danger in spirit contact, but with the other hand, he offers the remedy, being a good person and believing in the Lord. And all this is only one side of the biblical coin. Doesn't Jesus say in the Bible, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So wait a minute, you mean I'll be killed or taken over by hostile forces if I communicate with spirits, but God is a spirit, and therefore I can't worship God if I don't? What? Well, let's think about this some more. Scripture talks about angels. Where do they fit in? Psalm 104 says God makes his angels spirits. Oh, so if it's bad to talk to spirits, is it bad to talk to angels? Even in the Old Testament, it seems not. An angel has a conversation with Hagar that greatly improves her situation, saves her life and the life of her son. Gideon, another biblical character, sees an angel who gives him a positive mission that moves the story forward. Abraham saw three of them, and he and his wife had a longed-for son. Manoah and his wife, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Zacharias, the shepherds. In fact, most of the good people in the Bible see and talk with angels. Hmm. In fact, you may remember the story of Balaam and his donkey. Balaam is depicted as an idiot for not seeing the angel, and his donkey was right for seeing it. So if angels are spirits, and people in the Bible talk to angels, and that's okay, is it just the bad spirits we shouldn't be talking to, or talking to them for the wrong reasons? Because if you take, number one, talking with spirits, Number two, talking with angels. And number three, having otherworldly visions and lump them all together under the heading of spiritual experiences. Isn't the Bible a book of spiritual experiences? Remove the spiritual experiences from the Bible, and Moses doesn't see the burning bush and doesn't hear God telling him to free the children of Israel. Remove the spiritual experiences, and you don't get the Ten Commandments because they were written with the finger of God, and God is a spirit. Remove the spiritual experiences, and Samuel doesn't get called. Elisha's servant doesn't see the chariots of fire. Isaiah doesn't see the throne room of God. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't see the fourth figure in the fiery furnace. And Ezekiel doesn't see the dry bones come back to life, or the wheels within wheels, or the new Jerusalem. How much would be left of the Hebrew scriptures? There'd be no book of Zechariah at all, and not much left of the other prophets either. Remove the spiritual experiences from the New Testament. And Zacharias sees no angel and doesn't name his child John. Mary either doesn't get pregnant at all, or if she does, Joseph abandons her because no angel tells him not to. And Mary doesn't know what to call the child. If they make it through that, Jesus would likely still be killed as a child by Herod because no angel would warn Joseph to escape the danger. And of course, Mary Magdalene doesn't see the resurrected Jesus and just stays sad. The disciples don't see him either. Thomas doesn't touch his wounds. John never sees the vision of the Last Judgment or the New Jerusalem, so there's no book of Revelation. The day of Pentecost never happens. Paul doesn't see Jesus on the road to Damascus. Peter stays in prison because no angel released him. And without Peter and Paul, Christianity doesn't get underway. So sure, 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 if spirits and angels have real power and talking with the wrong ones can open Pandora's box and cause you and others a lot of harm, especially 
if you happen to be into big evils like incest or child sacrifice. But the Bible does not teach that it is universally bad to have spiritual experiences or to talk with spirits and angels. I never, I never thought about it like that before, how fundamental spiritual experiences actually are to the whole narrative in the Bible. Fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, and after all that, I could use a recap, so let's do our wrap-up. Since the world of spirits is made of people coming in from the world we live in, just like here, there's a spectrum of characters, from the kind and benevolent to the cruel and predatory. But because of a concentration of hostile personalities, Swedenborg gave some strong cautions about the calculating and dangerous schemes spirits can try to deploy on us. But if we practice, hold fast to, and live the combination of spiritual precepts and goodwill that Swedenborg called faith, we can be protected from even the most malevolent spiritual forces, leaving us open to genuine, heavenly connection from the spiritual world. And yes, the Bible warns us of some kinds of spirit interactions. If we're doing something that would defile or prostitute ourselves, as the Bible puts it, that's not good. And if our intentions are malicious, such contact can be destructive to us. There's real danger to interacting with spirits because they can have a real impact on us. And if they mean us or others harm, they can do some damage. But that doesn't mean that kind of contact should never happen under any circumstances. The Bible also says that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the whole story of the Bible would have gotten nowhere if there weren't angels interacting with people over and over again in their unceasing efforts to protect and help and heal the human race. So that's our show. I feel like we learned a lot today. I feel like I'm learning a lot. Just wondering, do you have any final thoughts on the whole topic? Well, I guess what, what really struck me as we've gone through this journey yeah. is how significant the truth is, you know? Right. Like we may sort of think, ah, oh, well, it doesn't really matter if it, you know, or, or yeah. whatever. But, um, but uh, truth, you know, you sort of think, well, truth is just important so that you have an accurate understanding or something like that. Okay. But if it's doing this spiritual protection thing. Like with that cage that I was in or with the ball. Thing, yeah. that, that's the part that's haunting me. It's yeah. awesome. You know, it really puts a whole different spin on what, why you need to know the truth, you know, what, what you've got in your mind and how that's organized yeah. has a huge effect on, on what's, you know, your emotional state and your intellectual state because of what's coming in from the spiritual world. Yeah, right. And the, the truth is nice to know here, but it seems like it's, it's even much more important uh, on the other side. It's like as important as gravity, you know, that, yeah. that sort of thing. That's right. Um, that's right. Yeah. And so I, I want to touch on also before we go, mediums. Okay. Because a lot of people are asking about spirit contact and also asking, is it okay if I go see a medium? You know, and I might, my first thought is like, it's kind of like the question, is it okay to talk to spirits? It's like, you're going to find some mediums, uh, you know, I'm assuming some of them, I'm not one, so I can't speak for it, but I'm assuming some of them are having real visions and they're talking to good spirits and that kind of thing. There's others that are probably flat out lying, you know, and, and there's probably everything in between. There's some who are probably thinking they're communicating with good spirits, but it's actually spirits tricking them. It's probably just just like with people, like, like you know, is it safe to go to a plumber? You, you get the whole spectrum of service there, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I was struck by those scriptures that um, 
you know, even when the Old Testament is explicitly forbidding it, right? Because people get it from that to defile yourself or to prostitute yourself. You know, like what is the purpose of the medium? What's the purpose? Who's going to the medium? Okay, so don't go to the medium to defile yourself. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Yeah, Yeah, and it sounds weird to say it that way, but like the way I read it is, if your intent is is harmful. You know what I mean? If you're trying to right. control others through voodoo or something, you know, something like that for, yeah. for an evil purpose, as opposed to a lot of people who do this kind of work to heal people, to give them comfort because yeah. they want, uh, you know, some sort of news from loved ones yeah. on the other side or that, that kind of thing. It doesn't seem to me that that's exactly the same thing that's being talked about there. Right. And and then we don't know. I mean, like Swedenborg, I feel like gives you a good solid picture of the spiritual world. But again, yeah, 200 something years ago. Right. right? So I don't know what it's like. Or maybe that it seems like back in his day, he's saying, hey, it's very rare for someone to poke around in the spiritual world uh, and, and not get into a lot of trouble. Yeah. Could be, it's right. a whole different thing. You know, there's Hopefully countries that are very different. different today than they were 250 years yeah. ago. We don't know, but I feel like we are trying to put these concepts out there. Hopefully it augments people's, uh, understanding. So I want to get to, to the question, but, um, first we're going to have a couple of thank yous. Thanks everybody so much for watching. It's awesome to have you here. And obviously the show wouldn't be possible without people who are willing to listen and hear about this kind of strange stuff for for almost an hour at a time. If you want to give a little more to us, you could like and subscribe this video. That helps us get out into YouTube and hopefully let someone else stumble across it and, and maybe uh, become intrigued. And if you want to be part of the engine that runs this, as I always say, Come hang out on Patreon. Uh, we have a service there where if you p- just get, donate a dollar per show, you can get all this behind-the-scenes content. It's extra stuff. Just as a thank you for, for us to, to being, you know, part of the force that sends this out into the world. Today we have this a cool extra bit from Karin, one of our writers, of something that didn't make it into the show, but was so cool that we had to say it to someone. So we want to say it to you as a thanks for, for supporting us. And as another little thank you, we're going to answer a question right now because we, we love hearing what's on your mind. So this is a question that was about the last episode we did, and uh, we're going to do our best. Lady Grace asks, why do people have different experiences immediately when they pass away? Is this because of what they did on earth? So I'm reading this question and immediately thinking of near-death experiences, because mm. that's when we get to hear about what their experiences were like. And there certainly is a huge variety in near-death experiences, right? You, the people write their different books, they, they can be quite different. So do you have any thoughts on that or, or, or anything related to it? it? It's true that, like I've heard of people or even know some people, you know, who like they've had beautiful experiences or some there's a dark part to it at yeah. first or something yeah. you know kind of scary or Howard Storm or something. who we had on this show like his started with this horrific trip through hell you know yeah right that's right and then it goes to a good place right. and all that uh, all I can I I don't think I, I I guess I have two thoughts one is that um, you know the question is is this because of what they did on Earth I think that. Um, it might have something to do with the particular state they're in at that moment or that Temporary. day. Yeah. I don't know if it's your whole life or so. You know, I don't think it's necessarily, oh, it's invariably bad if you have a negative part of your NDE or something yeah. like that. I, I, uh, the way that uh, Swedenborg seems to explain how God works through these things, it seems like there's always a purpose. So if there's a lesson to be learned... You know, right. That's what's going on. If there's something that you you gain, it gives you some humility. You know, Swedenborg says that often before people have 
like a vision of an angel or something like that, they'll go into this kind of holy fear and trembling because that puts you into a receptive state. Okay. You know, so does some of that darkness do that? So then you're ready for the light and you're really, oh, this is awesome or something. You know, does it potentiate a little bit for people? I'm not sure, but I, I know that all those things are... For a purpose, you know, there's some there's some reason, there's some lesson, something to be gained. No evil is permitted except good can come out of it. That's right. And I think about when is this because of what they did on Earth? I, according to Swedenborg, what you do doesn't matter. It's what your intent was. He says that, that a single right. act. So it's never it's like it's never like from an external state. What what crimes did you commit? What or what, when and when did you give money? When did you not give money? Because you know one person can be doing something for a totally different reason than another, and it's not even. Uh, really like what's your backlog it's ha- what's the state of your will currently like everything we do can be a come apart so if you have a history of bad behavior that you love that becomes a part but it's like your current he says people aren't like punished for things they did in yeah. life you're punished when you act further you know or something like that that's so, right that's so, right. right and there's an there's an arc that you hope to see in a life where you know, Swedenborg says, if you look back on your youth with yeah. regret, there's hope for you. you yes. know? Like as if everybody acts out yes. when they're young or something. You know, so where are you on that arc? Well, you see, know? like you're probably looking back with regret and I'm like, hey, everything's fine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm that young. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so those are, I mean, I, I feel like those are, those are the best thoughts I have yeah. on it. Okay. And so thank you so much, Lady Good Grace question. and everybody asking questions and thinking about it. We do our best to answer, of course, take it all, weigh it within yourself uh, and, and see what it means to you. All right, that's our show for this week. Again, thanks for watching. Please join us next week, same time, where we're going to be digging into the topic of repentance, which has got more to it than you might think, and it just happens to be fundamental to our progression to bigger and better things. So hope to see you then. Swedenborg and Life is Amy Aquarola, Morgan Beard, Curtis Childs, Karen Childs, Matthew Childs, Alexa Cole, John Connolly, Cara Dom, Chris Dunn, Stuart Farmer, Ben Keyes, Reed McArdle, Chelsea Odner, Jonathan Rose, Shiloh Silverman, and Shada Sullivan. 